When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we have a lot to discuss today in the world of the Buffalo Sabres, and unfortunately, just about none of it is good. But before we get to that, I quickly just wanted to give a couple of remarks as Wednesday was the one year anniversary of my older sister, Jennifer, passing away. Before I get into it, I just want to preface by saying I'm going to be talking about a little bit of a heavier subject matter here when it comes to uh, mental health and, and suicide awareness. And so I just want to give a, a heads up to folks in case you want to skip ahead. But if not, I just thought it would be important, uh, similar to what I did last year in our first episode back after her passing, just to share some thoughts. Uh, anybody that has lost a family member in general knows that the one year mark is obviously very, very difficult, especially when it comes to losing a family member by suicide. And it'd be putting it lightly to say that the past year of my life has pretty without question been the worst year of my life. Not having my sister is has just been, it's just turned my world upside down. Um, I, I had mentioned it on our episode last year after she had passed that my sister Jen was in the midst of a nearly 20 year struggle with mental health and addiction issues. As I mentioned before, this is something that obviously, as is the case for anybody, it, it really changes you in a way. And But the reality of it is that people don't really understand how losing a family member or a loved one or anybody close to you to suicide, how that really affects you. You know, I, I think about how oftentimes, whether it's on social media or in the media or companies and corporations talking about the importance of our, our mental health and that we all have to, you know, go to great lengths to do that. And, and oftentimes when we hear a lot of that messaging, it's from people in entities or what have you that those words just really ring hollow. You know, they don't really get to the crux of the issue uh, for folks, whether they are struggling with their mental health, whether they're struggling with addiction or they're like my sister and we're at the intersection of those two areas. And so it's been, as I said before, uh, for the worst, uh, a, a life-changing experience this past year and trying to get my footing in a world where my, my sister's not in it. Jen was five years older than me, and we both were extremely, extremely protective of one another. I just loved her so much. She was like my best friend. And now, you know, it's there hasn't been a day that's gone by that my heart hasn't ached because of her not being here, that I'm never going to be able to experience her walk through the front door of my dad's house again with a huge smile on her face. I'm never going to be able to go to a concert with her again. I'm never going to be able to pick up the phone and call her 
or have her call me and get the rush of excitement that I would get, you know, when things were good and she, and I would see her, her name light up on my phone. Um, you know, never going to be able to, you know, go on trips together again, never going to just be able to just tell her that I love her again. And part of the reason why I'm starting off this episode like this is because I just wanted to acknowledge this to honor my sister, honor her impact on me, honor her impact on so many people. Um, if any of you were lucky enough to know Jen, she was one of the most social and outgoing people you will ever meet. You could bring her into a room of a hundred people that she did not know and come back in an hour and you'd have a hundred people talking about her as if they were lifelong friends. She just had that kind of an electric personality. And so it, it's just, it, it's been extremely difficult and I miss her and I'm reminded of it every day and the little moments where I'm, I'm hit with the reminders of her loss but the other reason why I wanted to bring this up is from my sister's death, there's no silver lining. There's no reason that this happened. There's no, you know, well, what comes from this or anything like that? Full stop. This shook mine and, and many other people's worlds. And again, there's there's really nothing that's like a redeeming thing that you can take from this or, or draw from this. But what I will say is through this past year, I've taken every opportunity that I can to properly and honestly advocate for improvements to the way that mental health is talked about, is treated, is is handled in our society, especially in Buffalo. And, and Taylor can attest to, you know, when it comes to like our family being from South Buffalo, Taylor also being from South Buffalo, it has been a horrific trend over the past decade or so of the amount of people from South Buffalo specifically that were like my sister, that were at the intersection of mental health issues and addiction issues, and ultimately end up taking their own life. Um, I know that's obviously not just relative to South Buffalo, that's throughout Western New York, it's throughout the country. It's, it's an epidemic, it's a huge problem that it just doesn't feel like the people in power and the powers that be are really that interested in properly addressing and fixing and building the infrastructure to support people. And that's especially the case in Buffalo. You know, just now, I feel like we're starting to see some of these, whether it's a, a respite and recovery center, like Recovery Options Made Easy, an organization that uh, I had partnered with when we had held a, a fundraiser for my sister, Jen, on her birthday this year, where we raised $20,000. They just opened up a new, the Kirsten Vincent Respite and Recovery Center uh, in East Buffalo, just east of the, the medical campus. And that the treatment and the work that they're doing there are, are first of its kind and transformational. And I'm eternally grateful for the work that they do, but it's a, a little bit crazy to me that this kind of uh, 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 an organization, a home, whatever you want to call it, treatment center is the first of its kind when in reality, it's based on individualizing treatment and meeting people where they're at. Whereas you look at some of the other entities in Buffalo, and I, I don't need to, I, I'm not going to say names. I, I'm sure everybody knows specifically what hospital I'm talking about here, but you hear horror stories coming out of some of these other places about how people are left to, you know, when they're in their lowest moment and in crisis, they're, they're stuck in waiting rooms for hours, days, even in some instances without getting any kind of attention and, and, 
they are treating all of these varying kinds of, of mental illnesses and episodes as equally. You're, you're putting people, just cramming them into a room and it's when we get to you, we get to you without any kind of individualized treatment or care. And so for me, like I said, like at every corner that I've been able to, whether it's the, the fundraiser that we had for recovery options, uh, I had the opportunity earlier this year to speak at the attorney general's hearing on mental health in Western New York. Um, online advocacy, donating to places, whatever it may be, you know, I, I think that people generally speaking have this mindset, the average person and uh, understandably so of like, yeah, of course, mental health matters. And we need to promote that and promote talking about it. But people really don't follow through on it. And I think that for people to the the public at large to be able to follow through on that and properly advocate, we need to be honest about the shortcomings of the mental health system and the and the supportive programs that are available or lack thereof here in Western New York. Um, in addition to that, something that I, I think is important to bring up is just the way that we talk about mental health. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of people who will be ready to go to bat to talk about mental health awareness or suicide awareness, but also in the same vein, sometimes will be the first ones to crack a, oh, well, that makes me want to kill myself joke. You know, like there's people that I've hung out with, friends of mine who I know it's inadvertent, but it's just something that's become such, you know, like a, a standard kind of joking brush off thing that I've, it's happened so many times in the past year where I've been in the presence of people and somebody will drop that line. I just want to bring that up for just people to be mindful of that. There's a lot of people in Western New York and just in general that their lives one way or another have been touched by not only mental illness, but by somebody who's taken their own life. And I just think it's important for people because I don't think a lot of people realize that using language like that and words like that, that it matters, you know, it matters being intentional about that. With that being said, though, I think that for anybody listening to this, if you are serious about caring about people's mental health or your own or a loved one, or a family member, whatever, you know, I, I think another part of that is knowing how to talk about it and even though it's not intended in that way or cracking jokes like that or anything like that, you may have a friend or a loved one in your life that you're hanging out with somebody and you drop a line like that and they just have to kind of quietly, uncomfortably laugh along with it or ignore it or anything like that. When in reality, to me, if you're uncomfortable saying that in front of somebody that has been touched by suicide, you shouldn't say it at all, whether it's there's somebody around you or not. Um, and, and so that's just one thing, you know, like, I'm not trying to sound preachy or anything like that with any of this. It's just like, I have this microphone in front of me. Taylor and I are fortunate enough to have a listenership on this podcast that you guys, you know, tune in twice a week and and allow us to talk about the Sabres. And I think everybody who has been a, a longtime listener of, a, of ours knows that whether it's something that I'm, you know, that touches my life or Taylor's life or something that we both believe in, like we're not afraid to talk about shit that matters and talk about meaningful things. And this is something that really matters to me. And it should matter to all of us. Like this is, you know, there, there's a very vulnerable population of people who are affected by mental illness. And I always say that even if it's not you directly, you know somebody or know somebody who knows someone that is deeply touched by mental illness. I believe it's like one in five or one in six people in the entire country in some way, shape or form suffer from some kind of mental illness, whether it's a, a lower level of like anxiety or even all the way to more of the, the severe cases there. And so, 
you know, I, I just, I wanted to bring this up again because as I'm saying all of this stuff about like how we can be mindful of others and whatnot, I, I just want to close by just mentioning the importance of, of taking care of yourself and not only that, but allowing other people to be there for you when you're struggling. That is something that my sister greatly, greatly struggled with. She would not really uh, be the best at accepting help from from other people. If you're struggling right now and you're listening to this, you have mental health issues. I myself, like I suffer from anxiety issues. I'm not going to get into it too much, but it's something that has plagued me for a while. And I didn't really start to feel like I had a handle on it to the extent that I do now until I opened myself up to, to accepting help and allowing myself to get help and understanding the fact that being vulnerable with people about where you're at and trying to get better and allowing people to love you and to support you and to help you in any way that they can be a resource is the ultimate sign of bravery. Going it alone and and thinking that you have to rough it or tough through it is quite frankly bullshit. And it's not how people get through stuff like this. Like you don't have to carry this burden alone. And there's a lot of people, my sister included, may be listening to this and feeling like, well, I don't want to be a burden to somebody or I don't want to, you know, put my problems on someone else's plate because everybody's dealing with stuff. That is a a really short-sighted way of thinking because at the end of the day, everybody has people around them that love them and would do anything for them at the drop of a hat. And if you're feeling as though you are in a position where you're contemplating taking your own life or anything even remotely along those lines or just not knowing how to take care of yourself or contemplating self-harm, anything like that, please know that the people around you and the people who care about you want you to lean on them and and they want to be there for you and they want to love you and they want to help you get through all of these things. All of this to say, I, I want anybody listening to know that like, If you are somebody that is struggling or you know somebody that's struggling, whether it's a loved one, a sibling, a friend, anything like that, and you don't know where to turn or you don't know where to look for resources or you don't know what to do, please know like my DMs are always open throughout this entire experience. Like I've, I've just taken the heartache that comes with losing my best friend and my sister. And I just want nothing more than to try and channel that into trying to help other people who had similar struggles as Jen, because it's something that was at my sister's core, which is helping other people and being there for other people. Even though she wouldn't want to help herself, she was always the first person that would want to put other people first. So please know, like, if you are struggling right now, like there are resources out there available. There are people that care about you and love you and give a shit that you are here on this planet living your life to the fullest because that's what every human being deserves. November 15th, 2022 will forever be the worst day of my life, but I would not be where I am right now with this if it weren't for the many wonderful people that I have in my life that I have allowed myself to lean on to help me get through this. And Taylor, you among them you know, are, are near the top of that list of friends that I know that I can turn to and that like in my lowest moments or I'm feeling like shit that I can go to you or any of my other friends or family members or anything like that. And ultimately, like, that's how I've been able to get through such a crushing loss like this is because I've been able to have those people there for me and allowing myself to lean on those people. So let's talk about some happy stuff. Let's talk about the Sabres losing to the Bruins now. I thought you said happy. (laughs) Well, I have great news for you. It was five to two. Oh, five to two. Jesus. 
but no, thank you, Taylor, for letting me get some of that <laughs> stuff off my chest. Though, oh, yeah. Well said. So the Sabres lost to the Bruins. Anyway, I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. It's been a great time. Uh, <laughs> and we're moving on to the Winnipeg game. Brandon, they're playing Winnipeg. All right, so I'm just kidding about that. But I think I feel kind of two different ways about the Bruins game. If uh, I was so ready especially after the first two minutes to be like, I'm going to lay into Granado and blah, blah, blah. And all these things that I already had in mind in their dumb roster construction and everything we talked about uh, on Monday's episode. And then I was like, I was looking at it after the game and I was like, ah, you know what? Eric Johnson played the fewest minutes among defensemen. I think almost 20% of his minutes were on the penalty kill. Uh, Ryan Johnson played a good amount of time. They didn't do anything that weird after the Tage injury that made me go like, well, would you do that for? Like, obviously, he only played three minutes, but two injuries. Injuries, plural, which, got to say, very strange. I'd never seen a guy get injured twice in the same game. Same game by the same player. One maybe incidental, one total accidental. Uh, but anyway, looking at it, I wasn't like, wow, well, why did you play these guys so much? Like, I think they made the wise move in some ways of recognizing that the fourth line was playing really well in Oposo's thousandth game and then giving them more minutes, uh, taking some minutes away from guys like Jose and Rusak who weren't playing all that well. But the thing, the thing is, okay. So, so what I'm saying there is I don't actually have that much of a critique. I was like, Oh, well, why are you leaving Levi in? And then they took Levi out. So I don't have as much of that critique as I thought I was gonna, but I do have this critique. And I'm sure Brandon agrees with this, and maybe everyone else agrees with listening to this. What a fucking disgrace. You come back, you're 500 after not all that great of a weekend, and you have the toughest team on your schedule so far this year, a team that broke the regular season points and wins record last year. We know that they lost a lot of guys in the offseason. But, hey, it's easy to stay good when you have two of the only 10 good goalies in the league who have both been awesome so far this year. Yep. And some other guys have played well for them too. So they're good, whether they end up winning the President's Trophy again or not, which I don't think they will. And a team that you struggled with mightily last year after beating them. And you do that at home? That's Ano Poso's thousandth game? It's, that's, it's a fucking horrific effort. And I know it's hard when Tage is out of the game for almost the entire time. But man, that's ridiculous it's just ridiculous all around it i know there's other things too tucked in play there's a few guys out but this is there's not enough guys out to justify that level of effort and and just the, the way they got jumped on in the first five minutes of the game and they were out down four nothing eventually the only two goals came from friggin victor olsen uh i i don't know what to say about it that was a really horrific game it's a burn the tape type game it's their second one of this season already maybe third yeah. It was bad. I mean, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with everything there. I think there's a few takeaways from it. One, we're going to get into this next. Tage out now, week to week. Granado initially had said that he felt like it was a longer-term injury. It's seeming now that it could be potentially to the end of the calendar year, which I believe I saw somewhere was about 15 games is the potential of him missing right now, which would be catastrophic, to say the least. Like, it that is just such a huge loss him being out it's it's really like the one guy that you really could not afford to lose otherwise i know it's the bruins i know it's the best team in the nhl last year they're off to an incredible start this year the goalie tandem like you mentioned they still have that firepower up front but man oh man if there was ever a game that was so clearly indicative 
of what a goddamn failure it was that they did not further address the goaltending position in the offseason this year. I'm just thinking back to some of the condescending tweets that I saw after those first couple of games being like, oh, I thought we did enough in the or we didn't do enough in the offseason. And it's like sample size for one, two. If we're going to give ourselves a pat on the back for only signing Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson, then God help us for the standards that we're holding this team to. But with Levi, I mean, again, like I know you wanted him to be the guy here. He's had some moments where he's flashed brilliance. He's had some moments where he's looked like the guy that he was at the end of last year. But he's also had a lot of moments where you watch him in the net and some of the decision making, some of the positioning, some of those things just, you know, it it just comes back to the resounding thought of being like, are we really expecting this guy to play 45 games this year? Maybe 50 games this year? Is that really what this front office's plan was to trot out a guy that we've said it a million times and you can't say it enough trotting out a guy with that level of experience with his age, with his professional background and expecting him to do something that was so historically unprecedented. We've used those two words with Devin Levi and the projections for this year, just about every single time we have talked about him having to be the full-time starter historically unprecedented and expecting that he's going to be able to do that. It is short-sighted. It's poor roster building. And ultimately it's going to, it hurts his development too. I don't think that him being up all of this year is going to mean that like, you know, his career is a wash and we're fucked or anything like that, but you're certainly not helping his development though, by trotting him out there. And not only probably eventually going to be coming down to him getting way more, playing time than he's probably ready for right now at this level but granado man pull the fucking goalie if they're getting their ass kicked like what does it do for his confidence leaving him in there like that and this isn't obviously the first time that this has happened and it's not just levi it happened with Comrie last year i'm pretty sure where they pulled him way too late after like the seventh goal or something and he was flipping no they didn't pull him or they didn't pull him that's what i mean he gave up 10 goals and he finished the game what are you trying to prove there? This isn't like a letting him work through it kind of thing. Like as much as you're trying to cultivate his, his skills and his development, you're also having to balance that with like making sure you're propping up this dude's confidence. He's a kid. He is a kid. He is a rookie starting NHL goalie who has in reality, the not as much, but like, has there been a, like a player that has single-handedly had so much of a season weighing on them for the Sabres and what Devin Levi has since like what, like Jack Eichel, right? right? Like that's pretty comparable. The, the weight that everybody was placing on Eichel for him to be this savior of the franchise and lead them into the playoffs is borderline what's being placed on Devin Levi right now. And that's not because of some prime draft position. Like we're not talking about, you know, this being like Connor Bedard or something. We're talking about, a goalie in his early twenties who has less than 30 games of NHL experience, less than 30 games of professional experience here. And and what we're just expecting that he's going to step in, rip 50 games off for you there. And you're going to make the playoffs without any other major additions, no additions to the forward group to try and make you better there. Because again, we have this thing with, with hoarding prospects And uh, this like inability to realize that like to get something of value, you have to give up something of value in return. So we're just going to hang on to our 80 forward prospects that we have right now. 
where, where our, our defensive additions, instead of going out and getting a proper partner for Owen Power, you're going to make the same mistake that you made at the beginning of Darlene's career, and you're going to roll them out there with guys that, quite frankly, like you could do a lot better than, significantly better than. And then on top of that, you have Ryan Johnson that comes into the fold. I think we all fairly have questioned as of late some of Granado's decisions there, like moving him away from Darlene, having to have Darlene and Samuelson like anchored with each other, playing Clifton and Johnson together, something that I think at the beginning of the year sounded good on paper. I think we talked about that a couple of times. Taylor, you and I have the possibility of like, okay, that could end up being like a nice third pairing for you. They gave it a try. It's not working. It's not working. All of that everything the lack of action there directly correlates to how you are supporting this 21 or 22 year old goalie who you're expecting to carry the load for you like this it's it's setting him up for failure it, it yeah. truthfully is I, I know we both were bullish on the sabers ahead of the year this uh, of the season and i i by no means am trying to like wave the white flag right now and think that playoffs are out the window but for all of the optimism that we had for pretty much everybody who was optimistic about the Sabres coming into this year, it was with the caveat of they better hope that Levi is ready to do something historically unprecedented. They better hope that last year was not career years for all of the guys that had career years and that they were going to be able to sustain the pace that they were scoring at at the time. And that you were going to have some unbelievable luck with guys not getting injured because you didn't address adding more firepower or more depth, like in the way that you should have. And now look at us cages out of the lineup and the lines that they rolled out today at practice, that bottom six is atrocious, absolutely atrocious. And then on top of that, as we talked about last episode, and this is going to be my last thing, you have two first round picks scoring at, very, very solid rates. Kulik, Kulik, I know, is more of like a historical level, but Rosean is at like a point-per-game pace just about right now. You have two guys in Rochester that you are just sitting on right now that you're not going to bring up to the lineup when they make your team better unquestionably, and instead, what are you going to do? You're going to keep rolling out fucking Victor Olofsson. You're going to keep playing Opozo, even though God love him. We love Opozo. Congrats on the 1,000 games they're going to keep rolling him out there every night. You're going to keep rolling Gergensen's out there every night. You're going to keep playing Peyton Krebs in between them. He hasn't had a great year this year. Hasn't gotten an extended look with any playmakers. And instead you're just sticking him repeatedly with a Gergensen's and a Pozo and everybody's shrugging their shoulders as to why he's not fucking getting more assists. Why do you think, why do you think you're not getting more out of Peyton Krebs right now? You're not putting him in positions to succeed. Part of that of course is on the player, but it's also on the coach. And it's also on the front office. And so again, like I know I'm bringing us back to our conversation from last episode, but this state that the Sabres are in right now is is of their own making. The Tage thing is completely unlucky, but you were not ready for something like that to happen. And it's obviously, there's no situation where you can be like ready to lose Tage or ready to lose Darlene or anything like that. Of course, it's going to be to a huge detriment to the team. But they didn't do enough this offseason to be able to help at least like stick that landing a little bit softer. And now, what, you're going to have two productive lines and you're going to have two forward lines that are just going to get their face caved in. 
for what the next 15 games. And then you're going to get to, you're going to get to January. You're going to get Tage back. You're going to get Jack Quinn back. Is it going to be too late? Because you're still going to have the same goaltending situation. You're still going to have the same situation on D. And if Granado continues to have this like inability to maximize the lineup, lineup optimization, as we've been saying, if Kevin Adams continues to have this refusal to go out and make his team better, whether externally or the layup that is doing so internally, then you're going to be fucked. And we're going to be at the end of this year and we're going to know exactly where the blame lies on the front office and the coaching staff. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm glad you mentioned all of that because those are all things I want to talk about too, starting with goaltending. And I got to say this, so far still, UPL and Comrie haven't been a problem. That very much could change. But that actually makes things a little bit more simple for you. Comrie, he hasn't played in three weeks, but he's healthy now. And he may be playing Friday night in Winnipeg. So playing Comrie in that game, if he looks good, if he looks healthy, that should give you a little bit of confidence, maybe not even right away, but you have to start to consider the idea of, is Levi better off in the AHL? Can we just carry these two goalies? The fair question. And it, it wouldn't even, it shouldn't even be that much of a, I don't know, a scary thing to do because he's 21. The AHL is full of guys who are like, 24 and still yeah. trying to break through like this isn't a very common thing to just come up on your 21 like we said that a million times it's actually way more normal for him to be in the ahl i know that would be he probably doesn't want it and it would seem like a step back but it's not really a step back he played seven games last year and seven games this year he's played 14 games his overall save percentage is an 894 it's an 881 this season and before people start to say like oh he's facing a lot of tough shots you know what he's really not facing I guess you could say he is because he was in net for two of the more poor efforts, which is the first two periods of the Rangers game and the first period of the Bruins game. But overall, the people think of goaltending in the wrong way. They say like that was a, a save you could have, or that was a save you could never, you got to have this one. You don't have to have this one. You can't think about in binaries like that because if you're a good goalie, you got to have like 91% of them. And even if you're talking about high danger ones, you have to be, at least in the mid eights, hopefully in the high eights in terms of high, high danger ones, high danger chances. So it's not like you look at individual goals and say, that's the problem. You look at the overall sample and say, how is he doing in saving high danger chances? And again, you don't want your team giving up a bunch of high danger chances. Sabres did that last year. They've been way better at it this year, but at even strength, is he stopping them? No, he's actually been one of the worst goalies in the league before his most recent start. I believe the closest guy to him was, uh, Jack Campbell, who is Whew. getting murdered in the AHL right now. And this, again, I'm not sounding any alarms about Levi. He's 21. We said this. Most guys his age are in college or overseas or they're in the AHL, and that's fine. Like, this has been brought up, I think, don't always agree with him on things, but Sneaky Joe from WGR brought this up back in the spring. It's like, if you signed a goalie for three years this offseason, a good goalie, and you were able to lure them in saying like, Hey, three year contract. Like one of the guys we were talking about the end of that contract, Levi would only be 24, which is just the age goalies really tend to start at. Yeah. And we said like, Hey, best case scenario, he takes over and you trade this other good goalie. Anyway, I don't want to get too much into what we said in the off season. The point is what you can do now. And you can, while they're still playing well, run with Comrie and UPL. And if one of them gets hurt, cause they've both gotten hurt in the past couple of years, you can just move Levi back up 
if one of them is hurt, yep. if one of them is playing so bad that it's untenable, you can do that. But right now, neither mm-hmm. of them are. So, I mean, if you end up having, I don't know, 900 save percentage, that's below average. It wouldn't be terrible, especially if they can pick up their offense. And then you have Levi actually developing in the AHL, which, by the way, he's at 881 this year again. It's it's not a good save percentage. He is not playing well. Uh, so that that's my thought on that. That's something well, you, I'm not saying do that right now. I'm saying you got to consider that. I think the other side of that too is just <laughs> let's go back to the start of the year and in the off season, what was the rationale that people had for Levi being capable of doing this historically unprecedented thing that we're talking about being a viable NHL starter on a playoff team and playing 45 to 50 games. It wasn't anything tangible. It was, Oh, well, he's just, he's different. He's got a great mentality about him. He's built different right. like comments like that. And it's like, that is, if that is what this front office was using as the rationale for that, we're doomed. That is not how you go about constructing a roster. It's not, again, it's, it's setting yourself up for the worst case scenario. It's what we said from the start. You can go back to our season, our our early season episodes and the episodes at the end of last year, you and I, or end of last season or end of the, the off season, whatever you and I repeatedly were saying, if you don't address the goaltending situation, what's going to happen when you get to December, the wheels are starting to fall off and Levi, you're just leaving hung out to dry there. What's going to be worse for his development starting the year in Rochester and letting him build up to that or getting a, an actual viable one, a option and letting him learn and not have to play this many games and have this much of a workload and having him behind a, a, a trusted real starting goalie in the one hand, or the other one is you're going to get two months into the season. He's going to be in over his head and you're going to have to make the tough decision of sending him down, which is ultimately going to take his tank, his confidence way more than if you just started the year that way in the, in the first option. It, it again, like all of the, the issues right now, has there been some bad luck? Yes. At the end of the day, the reason the positions are, the Sabres are in the position that they're in is of their own making. It is their own actions and their lack thereof, I should say, of action too. Drives me fucking nuts. Everybody saw this coming from a mile away. Like, I know that people always say, oh, what, does this person on Twitter know more than what an NHL GM knows? And it's like, judging by the last, like, 12 years, yeah, I would say so. Now, I'm not saying all this to, like, hop off of the Adams train or anything like that, but, man, oh, man, like, this stuff everybody saw this from a mile away the people who didn't think that levi was going to be ready saw this even uh, i i like half of the people who did think that he was going to be able to do it also were like um but there's a lot of risk involved with this but like maybe he's going to be good enough so let's send it faulty thinking but at least they acknowledge it for people to like go all in on this it, it boggled my mind then and it still does now and now like i know he's turned his career around a little bit but like we don't need to have like a Carter Hart situation going on here. Like you can correct course here and help get this dude right and help him actually properly build his game up to be ready to be an NHL starter. It's just now you fucked yourself over and you're going to have to start the process two months later than you probably should have. Yeah. And it's at least, at least we can say, Hey, the other goalies are at least we have two goalies who we seem like can play in the NHL right now. At least you have that right now being the key word there. We'll see how long UPL (laughs) and Comrie both last with that. Yeah. Well, all right. So I'm going to get to my 
thoughts on the other guys you mentioned. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by DraftKings. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Folks, you know what we got coming up tonight is a Winnipeg Jets game against the Buffalo Sabres. Right now on DraftKings, as I'm looking at it, the Sabres uh, are one-and-a-half goal underdogs, which is pretty standard. They're at plus 145. Are you interested in that? Well, if you are, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can get 150 Bucks instantly and bonus bets just for betting $5 on hockey. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help us available for problem gambling. Call 888 897777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Folks, I'm recording a podcast at 5.33 p.m. It is pitch black outside. You know what that means? It's a certain time of year. And it may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. Why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare? Especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% off because the early bird Black Friday sale is going on now. You heard me talk about Raycon's products before. For example, they're incredible audio products and that's where they first made a name for themselves the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds which i'm using right now known for delivering the quality and thoughtful features like a 32-hour battery life and perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort and this past year they expanded their entire business with the introduction of raycon home and power tech so for example They have a new five-star reviewed Magic 180 cable, allows you to charge iOS, micro USB, and Type-C devices eight times faster with 100-watt power delivery. Their faucet filter ultra-filters water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metals. Getting Metallica the hell out of here, folks. It's a must-have for ensuring the water you use to wash your face with and brush your teeth is actually clean. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality, thoughtful features at half the price of other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of five-star reviews. To get everyone in the holiday spirit, sorry, holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their site with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds and save now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com slash THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. And if you're wondering, when I said the Sabres are plus 145, that was on the money line, not on being plus one and a half. Anyway... We're back. Uh, yeah, we're back. And I only talk about some of the other guys you mentioned, because I think I pretty much agree. Uh, the good news is Alex Tuck is supposed to be back tonight's game against the Jets. So is Zach Benson. I don't know whether he'd be in the lineup or not. But you mentioned a bunch of guys there. 
And I think it's clear basically what they have to do from now on, if they're serious about making the playoffs, because let's be clear here, they're very much not out of it, but they're on the wrong side of 500 at a time of year where you don't want to be there. And luckily there's a lot of Bozo teams in the East right now, but Toronto's not going to be like this all year, or maybe they are. They'd be hilarious if they were, but Tampa is going to get Andre Vasilevsky back at some point, And he might be healthy and he might be ready to take on his old workload. And at that point, they're going to be way better than they are with uh, that Bozo Jonas Johansson in that. So it, you have to start being serious about making hard decisions and doing things you don't want to do. We already talked about one of those. Consider sending Levi down if Comrie's healthy, and let's say Levi has another bad start. All right, that be, might be one decision you have to make. Some other ones here. A big one, you mentioned there, Oposo. He shouldn't be gone or anything. They're not going to like cut him or whatever. He's still the captain. He might have to have some games in the press box. He might not. He might have to not play every night. And if he really is captain material, and I think he is, I think he'll understand that. And I think he'll understand uh, that he maybe plays every other game or that he rotates in and out or that there will be injuries and he'll be in for that. I think it's also worth mentioning here. They did that line played their best game of the year on. What was that? It was a Tuesday night. Yeah, it was also the 16th game of the year. So we have quite a sample size with them. The season is uh, almost 20% over. So we know the fourth line isn't working or clicking the way it has in the past. And we know that it isn't really good for Peyton Krebs to be playing there. So why is that? And I think there's a few reasons, but I think an important one here to remember is Gergensen's is playing way worse than you would have expected. Way worse than he played last season. Yeah. This is not, they didn't resign him with the idea that he was going to have this decline in mind. So I, I was, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, you expect Oposo. He's 35, I think to maybe play, have a season like this. Uh, Krebs, maybe he isn't gelling the way you want, but why is Gergensen's playing this poorly? And I, you know, there were some people and I pointed out on Twitter, pointed out to me that Gergensen's is 29. And he has played a very rough style most of his career. And frankly, he does rely on his speed a lot to be in, to be in position and or out of it and get back into it. He's not like a, a super skilled guy. He's not, not that he's an unintelligent player, but it's not like that. He's a, he's a physical player. He plays a physical game and he might be wearing down. That might be it. It might not be a bad start. It might be just a quick decline where it falls off a cliff. Our friend TJ and former guest called it the Vlad Sabatka effect. And that maybe isn't a bad comparison. I, I hope things turn around so it's not that bad, but that's a consideration that I didn't really make in the offseason when they re-signed both of these guys. I thought, well, they'll both be great defenders, and right now it seems like they're being carried a little bit on the defensive side by Krebs, and the offensive side's a disaster, and it's watching it uh, with their quote-unquote best game on Tuesday, I can see why. They all play hard. That's not a consideration. They don't play dumb. The problem is... (laughs) The offensive skill is not there, and in frank, frankly, in Oposo's case, I don't know what is really there anymore besides a nice effort on uh, Tuesday night. You saw so many opportunities where someone is setting up Krebs, right? Krebs, not, not in a crazy situation, but Krebs can't handle the pass or Krebs can't make a play. Well, Krebs is doing what he actually should be doing, setting someone else up, and they can't handle the pass. And I'm just watching it thinking that they don't have anyone you could even call a finisher without getting like laughed out of the room. Not even like a, a a good plus plus finisher, a finisher, an average a guy who can finish in an average way. 
And that's really not Krebs's game. It's really unfortunate because it he seems to be like a big kind of a minus minus on that. He might have like when they put up those charts that like Jay Fresh or Evolving Wild other people have, he might be like a five out of a hundred on finishing. It's it's not good. So I think if you want to give him a real chance, you have to do what we talked about. You have to play him up the lineup for at least a few games to see what he can do with other guys. And I don't know what you do with Gergensen's and Oposo, except be serious with yourself and admit that you can probably only play one of them at a time. At, at least unless Gergensen turns things around or Oposo finds the fountain of youth, you can probably only play one of those one of those guys at a time. But they're both important guys. They're both leaders. They're both guys I respect a lot. So I would expect there'd be some kind of rotation. They wouldn't be sitting out 30 games in a row. And then you could throw Jost in there too if you want to rotate him in and out. Like I, I like Jost, and he's not having a bad season like any like these guys. But someone's gonna have to play in the fourth line, and I think that might be him. Uh, and then just looking beyond that, you, you, I don't know who you try Krebs with. They've messed around with the lines a lot. So go with God on that. And the last thing is you got to keep Ryan Johnson up for now. You gotta. Yeah, and and I think at this point you can. There's no way that you could say that you're serious about making the playoffs and you're gonna send him back down while you're gonna give Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton minutes like that. You just can't. He's he's, yeah. He's he's 37 years old. He did the Tommy Boy college route, and he's ready to play. And I'm the guy who's actually 37 in this case, Eric Johnson, another guy that they're bringing because they respect him as a veteran. Well, he should be rotating. There's no reason that you should – I mean, uh, I don't want to say this for the millionth time. There's no reason to have Olafson anywhere, but I guess with Tage out, maybe there's space in the press box, whatever. So I think they have to – I don't know, get rid of Olafson. But like Jost, Jost can be in the lineup. Olafson can be – no, sorry, forget I just said that. Jost can be in the lineup. Oposo can be in the lineup. Gergenskins can be in the lineup. Krebs can be in the lineup. Not all at the same time, not the way they have been so far. Yeah. Because there's another guy I haven't even mentioned in Greenway who's playing well this year, who is your prototypical he, – you, we're calling him middle six. He can also be described as bottom six, potentially. Forward, who is – I would say so far has been better on the defensive side of the ice than the offensive. That's too many of these guys. It's too many. So if you really want to turn things around and you want to start scoring, I don't know, 80% as well as you did last year – you got to consider this at the very least rotation with those guys that you don't want to put in the press box. I'm sorry. You don't want to put in the press box, but you might have to. And yeah, you're going to be dropping Benson. If Benson's healthy, he'll play a few more games and he's probably out. Uh, maybe hopefully you try Kulik. Other than that though, you can't, you cannot keep putting these other guys in the ice. And like I said, Krebs real chance to at least see what you got. Cause if you don't have anything with Krebs, if you think this shit is not worth it, then I, I don't know you. I think you, you might have to have do one of two things. You accept that both Gergensen's and Oposo are gone next year. And Krebs is one of those guys defense first and offering no offense. And you've remade fourth line for next year. But is that in a one-year deal? How long are you bring it back? What commitment are you making? Or you might just say, shit, we'll just replace them entirely. That's a possibility. There's a lot of forwards in the, in the works right now. So Anyway, so I threw a lot at you, but that was after I kind of covered everything you covered. It was great. No, it was. It, it was great. I'm, I'm with you on all of it. Thank you. Well, smart, handsome guy. I don't know what you want me to say. Well, I have an important question for you. Give it to me. Are you going to the Black Friday game? 
May uh let me double check if they're it's, on my it's season. a six PM kick <laughs> kick tip. Six PM six PM Yeah. Against the Penguins, who that's kind of an important game. What's the date for that? No, I don't I don't have tickets for that one. No, unfortunately not. Oh, okay. I'm going. Anyway, uh, I will not have any words with any Tampa Bay fans because I probably will not see them. You know, we still haven't told that story yet on the pod. <laughs> we told yeah. that we're like, oh, if we get to it, we'll talk about it. But well, if we get actually... 10,000 10, listeners on one episode, beautiful the next podcast, I'll tell the story. Done deal. All right. It's worth it, everybody. Trust me. It's a <laughs> or if you don't hear it on the podcast and you ever see Taylor and I out at a bar, ask us and we will give a very animated version <laughs> of what went down because it was a <laughs> it was some of our, our proudest moments as a Sabres fan. <laughs> oh man. Oh, it was great. Pretty well. Uh, so just looking at this weekend though. Yeah, give it to uh me. the Bills and Sabres have the Jets. Who do you feel more confident in? Oh. Honestly. I'm going to say it's tough because I, I I'm going to lean Sabres, which is an insane thing to think. I'm going to lean Sabres just because I am so back and forth between Brady taking over as intermosi, giving them a shot in the arm and waking, waking up a little bit. But also I'm just as much as I'm wondering if that's going to happen. I'm equally wondering if the wheels are just going to start falling off here. Like, the, the the past few weeks have just been bad. And for me, I I would love to have an episode where we talk about this a little bit further. Uh, maybe get somebody on to talk bills. But man, I, it just feels like the McDermott era is at the end of its road. It feels like we just need a shift in the room. They need a new voice. They need somebody else who's going to be able to not only, you know, rally the troops and be like that motivator that McDermott supposedly is but somebody that just like tactically is just like a better head coach i i just think that this whole thing with the vibes and all of that has gone stale i think we're a far cry from where we were a couple of years ago as compared to now it just feels like everybody the fans the staff the players are all just like kind of burnt out a little bit from this and i think that a new face will open up a new window for josh to step into the next phase of his career all that to say fire mcdermott hire ben johnson 2024 you heard it here first just kidding everybody's saying that and they should do that that's right folks what you heard brendan say is fire mcdermott and bring in jim harbaugh yep that's what the the people love it the people love it so i i haven't seen anything on who we will be seeing uh in goal tonight for the the jets so that's a big question mark because I don't know if you heard about this. The Jets have a a pretty good goalie who is not having all that great of a year. However, they have a backup who's having a horrible year. Yeah. Uh so right now and he's only played three games backup, but Hellebuck so far this year is an eight ninety four. Yikes. You'd expect that, that guy to be about I'd a nine twenty. I'd be curious to know what that is over like the past two weeks as compared to the first two weeks of the season, because he got off to a real bad start. Yeah, let me take a look at his game log real quick on ESPN. Uh, So he, uh, let's see, he had a, oh yeah, I watched the game on Tuesday, actually. He did pretty well. He he was a 9-12 save percentage in that game. 8-97 the game prior. 9-09 the game before that. So those are, that's basically the last week or so. 
Mm. Last, those the last three games, but it was bad before that. 880, 840. No bad. 885. So like, yeah, he's been bad. He was, he's been pretty consistently not great throughout the season. Uh, Laurent Persuas in 872. Folks, Bruce Cassidy makes goalies money. Amen. Taylor, let's wrap up by this. Sabres Jets, Bills Jets. Who you got in both games? Bills and Sabres, and we're not that thrilled about either of them. Okay. I'm talking a real ugly 3-2 shootout win, and uh, I'm going to say this, 16-10 to on Sunday. (laughs) Sunday late afternoon. Oh it's my just gonna be we're God. gonna be sitting there like, oh my god, they're gonna lose, and then Zach Wilson's gonna go out and throw it at like a parking attendant. And we're gonna like, I don't know, are we gonna lose? And then Alan's Wait, gonna get sacked. And then like a woman above the age of 40, though. Is that why he's throwing it at her? Yeah, the, the his numbers attached to the ball. Uh, of course, naturally. All right. Well, thank you for that, Taylor. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, check out all of our fellow shows across both networks. And make sure you're following both the Charging Buffalo and Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And wherever you are listening to this episode right now, make sure you are either following or subscribe to us and leave us a nice little rating or a review as we would very, very much appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, we love our sponsors. Taylor, don't we love them? Oh my God, we love our sponsors so much. That, of course, being DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure you use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And Raycon. We love Raycon. Don't we? We love Ray J. We love Raycon. We love their audio products, everybody. We 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 love it. We love it. And uh, make sure you're checking out Raycon.com slash THPN. Take advantage of some great deals there as we are just on the cusp of the holiday season, folks. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sick. Sitting on the bedroom floor.